Welcome to Cricket Ultras. This is Arun Sudharman, and we have the full lineup for today's show. Joining us from the Sunshine Coast in Australia, Darren Burns, how are you? I'm fantastic. I'm in Queensland. Beautiful one day, perfect the next, as they say. Gosh. It's a very regional slogan, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, a lot of thought <laughs> went into that one. Toby Doman was also joining us, as usual, from Hong Kong. How are you, Toby? Always perfect, Hong Kong. Yeah, I'm very well. Festive greetings to you both. Likewise. So I guess this will be our last podcast of 2019, uh, but we'll do, we'll do more of a, of a review type of thing in our first podcast in 2020, because there's still quite a lot of cricket to be played this month, in particular in Australia, where uh, New Zealand crashed to a pretty resounding defeat in the first test at Perth. Um, this after, I think their prospects were talked up quite a bit, as this being the, 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 the great chance for them to finally win a series in Australia for the first time in 25 years. Darren Burns didn't happen. What happened? What did happen? I think anybody who knew anything about cricket didn't believe that. Yes, I must agree with that. It must have been a bit of the Kiwi yeah. media and wishful thinking from the English media, I'm imagining. Um, but actually, it sort of went pretty much to plan. Like, it was a pretty limp performance from New Zealand. Of course, on the first day, they had a bit of a mishap with Lockie Ferguson breaking down on debut, um, which made them a fast bowler short. Uh, so, yeah, it was, to be honest, it was a pretty mundane test. You know, Australia goes in first, scores 420, bowls... New Zealand outs, you know, goes and bats a bit again, puts them in again, and they get bowled out on the, on the fourth day. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, to be honest, it wasn't a very exciting match. What I did find hilarious, though, was the sort of talk about body line. Um, now, the body line was Neil Wagner bowling at about 125 kilometers an hour uh, at Perth, which was quite bizarre. We're used to seeing body line where it's like 140, 150. There was a real body bouncer barrage, uh, and they really got, they, they found Smith out in both innings of the short ball. So that could be something that people are going to follow up going forward. But yeah, to be honest, I would say the test match wasn't that interesting. Mitchell Stark again was on fire. I think he's come back really strongly this season in Australia. But yeah, pretty much as expected, I would have thought. Perfect conditions for Mitchell Stark. He, he, he must be considered the best pink ball bowler in the world right now. I think the best coloured ball bowler, right? So white, probably white fast, you know, with a fast ball and white ball, pink ball, he seems to do very well. And he actually saw, I saw an interview where he said it actually behaves quite like a white ball. Yeah, so he's, um, he's on fire. Yeah, problems for New Zealand. Um, I think, was it Trent Bolt was injured? And then Lockie Ferguson, what, playing his first test match, gets injured. And their batting depth is, has always been a problem, I think, in test cricket. Um, you know, really rely on Kane Williamson and Ross Taylor. The, the short ball you mentioned, Steve Smith, are you suggesting he was, he was found out by slower short balls? Is this the plan now? I think, yeah, slower short bowling. It was actually quite interesting because it was so hot in Perth, right? I think it was, it, it was above 40 on both days uh, when they were bowling. So they were, I mean, they were knackered, but they were just trying to run and steam in. And that, that Neil Wagner, he's quite a piece of work. Uh, I think he went through 35, 40 overs in the first innings, but he just comes in and bangs it in. But you know, banging it at 125 um, doesn't seem that fast, but he seemed to be hurrying up a lot of the Australian batsmen. So kind of interesting. Slower bounces may be the way to go um, on these pitches. But yeah, he's been quite disappointing so far, uh, Smith. He hasn't looked as, as well as he looked in the ashes but by any stretch of the imagination. Quick question for you, Darren. 
Um, yeah. Tell us about the the Perth Stadium. I don't know much about it. I suppose most listeners will be very familiar with the Wacker, but this is kind of the first full tilt, I guess, this stadium's had. Tell us about the the setup and what the pitch is like. I think it's Creators have done very well because it's actually quite a bouncy wicket as well. Um, so there was definitely a bit of seam and, and some swing throughout the whole game, uh, particularly with the pink ball. So you know the, the, the wicket's good. I think people are complaining about the character of the of the venue. You know, it's a typical stadium. Seats 50,000 people. There's nothing really remarkable at the stadium itself. But the pitch is quite good. Interestingly enough, there's been another funding proposal going in for the WACA. So they're going to get the WACA back up to international standard, apparently. I think they're investing about 75 million Australian dollars into that. So that's nice to have Perth or have both wickets going for. We'll have the WACA, the, the traditional Perth pitch, and they'll also have the new stadium. So it's quite nice. Yeah, I, it's, it's a pretty good wicket. I mean, it's definitely a result wicket, which is good. So the next test is where, Darren? Uh, MCG Boxing Day test. MCG. And Australia are a bowler short, right? Someone's, someone's injured. Well, Hazelwood also broke down. It was quite weird. So he broke down in Australia's first innings. Yeah, it was kind of strange. Yeah, after a beautiful delivery. Yeah, ab- that, absolute. That wicket he took. Um, and he's going to be replaced by Peter Siddle, it looks like. Which is strange. Um, for some reason, you know, Justin Langer wants to bring Siddle in uh, when you have a couple of other guys knocking on the door, probably. Particularly Pattinson uh, particularly Michael Nisa. So, bit of a surprise he wants to stick with the old warhorse Peter Siddle, given that Pattinson is also from Victoria. So, and I think Pattinson averages high teens there with the ball in first class cricket. So, it seems weird you wouldn't pick him. And if I was a New Zealand batsman, I'd prefer to face Peter Siddle rather than James Pattinson. Is that being mean on poor Sids? I, I mean, I, I read that, you know, Siddle is more of a like for like replacement for Hazelwood, and they want maybe, maybe that's why because he's a bit more of that kind of accurate, you know, accurate metronomic. I mean, he's, he's in pretty good nick too, Peter Siddle. He is, yeah. But yes, a little surprise. So I think that they'll have Trent Bolt back for that uh, game apparently, which is good. So your friend Southie will open the bowling with Bolt, which is, which is good yeah, for New Zealand. Yeah, but, but uh, yeah, it's not looking good really for New Zealand. And they brought in a new young tall guy called Kyle Jamison, uh, the, the Kiwis. He's. I haven't heard much about him, but apparently he's coming into the into the squad to replace to replace um, Ferguson. Wow, two meters tall. He described himself as a bit tall and a bit gangly, maybe a surprise package, perhaps. So sounds very confident, young man. All right. So let's move on to South Africa. Uh, we have talked on this podcast before about um, crisis riddled national cricket boards. Uh, I think we, we we talked about Bangladesh. On the last show, um, and now it's South Africa's turn, uh, and of course this isn't a new situation. Cricket South Africa has had various issues for quite a long time, and they came to a head in the last couple of weeks. Um, the suspension of the Cricket South Africa chief executive, uh, Thabang Moreau, amid a, a number of problems, uh, including... Um, Huge financial losses, reports of uncontrolled spending by staff, suspensions of senior employees, resignations of board members, in particular the two independent board members, Professor Shirley Zinn and Iqbal Khan, and these really weird attempts to silence the media. So a lot going on at CSA. The South African Cricketers Association uh, has called for the entire board to resign, and 
you know, it looks like there's going to be more changes there. I think we're already, they've brought in an acting chief executive in place of Moreau, and that's Jacques Fall. Uh, I think David Richardson uh, has been brought on as well as a consultant. Uh, he's, he's, of course, uh, previously led the International Cricket Council. And Graham Smith has agreed to become CSA's first ever director of cricket. So, yeah, a lot of issues for South Africa, South African cricket to contend with. It's a, it's a mess, isn't it? Why, why, how's it come to this? Because I saw the players today, um, oh, sorry, this week have refused to take part in a committee, which I think the, the, the acting team want to set up to try and restructure the whole game in, in South Africa. But they can't even get the players to come and sit around the table. What, what's, is, this, is there bad blood or what's happened? I think there's been bad blood for a, for a very long time, yes. I think, I think there's just a lot of reports of mismanagement at Cricket South Africa maybe excessive political involvement as well. I think the players are a little bit fed up. I mean, do, in, in the reports you read, were there any reasons provided as to why the cricketers wouldn't get involved? I don't know, and you just wonder what the influence of Graham Smith is over the current crop of players because he's such a strong character, and him and Mark Boucher, I think, are two uh, sort of tough operators, and I think Smith had been turned down for this role in the past. Is that correct? Yes, that is correct. Yes. Yeah. So I wonder if there's some, I don't know, there's something going on with him. No, I've not seen any any reasons given, but um, given that that the Proteas have a, a, a test series with England in the new year, it's not ideal prep. No, it's not. Um, so David Richardson is, has, is going to form a steering committee uh, to make recommendations on the future structure of South African domestic cricket. Uh, Mark Boucher has been brought in as head coach of the national team. There were plans earlier this year, CSA had decided earlier in the year to restructure the, the domestic game, but that wasn't well received at all. Uh, they wanted to reduce the number of teams playing professional cricket. The South African Cricketers Association um, has, has brought legal action because of that. So they're, they're at loggerheads, essentially, I think, the players and the board. And the SACA, the Cricketers Association, is very powerful. It's, it's certainly one to keep watching. Uh, at the very least, it looks like CSA is quite committed to fixing everything. I mean, the other thing that happened, of course, is that Standard Bank pulled out of its its uh, multi-year sponsorship deal with um, with CSA, which is a huge blow because South African cricket has financial problems anyway. To lose its primary sponsor and and indeed to lose it because. Um, as Standard Bank put it, they, you know, they kind of had enough as well of, of all of the, the bad, you know, the bad publicity associated with aligning or partnering with CSA. You know, it's, it really doesn't look good. It's uh, not not good at all, and, and sad as well because you know you want you want a strong South Africa in all formats as well as a domestic game um, to back it up. Absolutely. You know, the, I see the squad for the England series. They brought in six uncapped players. So obviously ringing in the changes as well. So, you know, a pretty tumultuous time there at South Africa. Well, this is it. It's not just problems at the board, right? I mean, they're going through a, a really prolonged transition period in terms of players. And, you know, they had a terrible World Cup. So they're trying to start again, I think, certainly in terms of, in terms of the limited over squad. But, but even the test team, a number of the more experienced players are, are moving out. It's, it's a difficult one on all fronts, but there is so much talent in that country that th- there will be opportunities for, for, for other players to, to come in, I guess. But a good, maybe a good opportunity for England, Toby. I don't know if you, if you rate their chances highly at all. Um, yeah, I think, look, Boxing Day test at Centurion, I think it is. Um, England needs, 
I, I think I have to say I think they were pretty pretty poor um, in New Zealand. Um, there were you know some papered over the cracks. I think there's some selection issues. Good time to play South Africa, but England are also lacking in a bit of confidence. So I, I don't know. It's difficult to difficult to tell. This six new caps could galvanise South Africa. You know you often see that when you you throw in a lot of new new faces, it suddenly gels, and so that could happen. It's a home series for South Africa. The crowd will always be fired up to have a go at England as well, so it's going to be a difficult one. Yeah, and some of these new players are, are players that uh, you know we know we know right um, from the from the limited overs team. Yeah, Rassi van der Dusen. Yeah, Rassi van. Dwayne Pretorius as well, I think is. Dwayne Pretorius. He's been around. Yes. <laughs> he's been around, but they've got. Um, I think Ngidi is injured, and you know they've still got Dukok and Big Vern. They've got Kagisa Rabada, pretty decent bowler, uh, and Faf Duplessis. Uh, Dean Elgar, who's you know started, he's, he's had a very good start to his international career. There's still some some serious players there. And playing at home, there will be a handful. Uh, and Aidan Markram is back from injury as well. So they're still yeah, still it's still a decent team. I, I would caution England not to get too overconfident. Okay, so. Before we talk about, uh, we're going to talk about Pakistan, Sri Lanka, but before that, perhaps, Toby, um, let's go to you now, because um, uh, it was a sad day for English cricket uh, last week um, with the, uh, the the death of Bob Willis. Yeah, it was sad, and I have to say, I wasn't I wasn't aware that he was so so unwell, and so it was quite a shock to me that he'd, uh, he died, he'd suffering from um, prostate cancer. Uh, at the age of 70 and there's lots of you know the usual sort of um, tributes from past players and management etc but um, he was actually the first cricket autograph I ever got as a six-year-old at Lords in 1986 so he's a special man for that reason on my size zero bat it still sits in my dad's shed at home but there we go you know he was uh, probably best known for destroying Australia at Headingley in 1981 but um, he was probably, you know, one, one of the only world-class England bowlers in that in that early 1980s period. Um, he was nicknamed the Goose. Some people thought that was because of his rather unusual slanted run, and he had this sort of pistoning arm. You know, the delivery arm would piston behind his back, and he would have this weird sort of circuitous route to the to the wicket. Um, I, I've read elsewhere that the the goose was actually a senior pro at Surrey. Would just call everyone goose, and it just stuck on Bob Willis. But um, I like it. It, it, it. Apparently, he looked like a goose trying to take flight in a uh, in a headwind, which was um, quite a nice description. He actually changed his middle name to Dylan. He was a massive Bob Dylan fan, uh, and changed it by deed poll, uh, which gave him, I guess, a little bit of a uh, little bit of cool and his curly mop. Um, he was actually England England captain uh, rather unsuccessfully, um, kind of underlining the rule that you should never really make your strike bowler captain of any international side. Um, and he actually retired in 1984, which is quite early, a relatively short career um, for someone. And he managed to hit uh, 300 test wickets um, at a time when only three other men, I think Fred Truman, Lance Gibbs, the West Indian legend, and Dennis Lilly, at that time had ha- had had 300 test wickets, which has now been surpassed, I think, by uh, James Anderson and Broad. But still, a fantastic achievement in a relatively short short period. And then he moved on to to broadcasting, uh, where he sort of developed a bit of a hatchet man uh, chainsaw uh, persona, which I think Sky um, in particular encouraged him. He had this program called The Verdict, where he would basically ev- eviscerate England players on screen, and I think that 
that kind of gave him this image where people, particularly the players, um, didn't like him. And I remember you may remember Nasser Hussein years ago. I think sort of made a pointed gesture to the press box after scoring a, a career-saving century. Uh, and, he, and Hussein said he was aiming this at, at, at Willis in particular because he really got up the noses of these players. But according to Mike Atherton, you know, behind the scenes, he was very much a player's player and was immediately back as a fast bowler again when he would get together with former players and say, you know, you know the indignities of having chief executives' wickets and uh, you know too much short form and all that. So he was almost back in the ch- in the changing room again with them. So I think there's probably two sides to him, and, and we probably only saw one. And I just remember watching the, the final final point. It was the I, I watched a bit of the footage from that, that Headingley test, and it was quite poignant actually to see the the, the commentary. It was Richie Banno on commentary and Chris Martin Jenkins and, and Graham Dilly catching Rod Marsh on the boundary. A lot of these figures are now sadly fading from the game, and now Bob is, is joining them. So it's quite poignant. Lovely. It's a it's a great memory, mate. Your first autograph. Amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. I must confess, I never really saw him much as a player, although I know he. He had a brilliant record in India as well. I think he led England to a, uh, a rare English victory on Indian soil. Uh, but as a commentator, I, I actually really enjoyed his... Um, I really enjoyed the verdict. I loved it. He, he would... You know, just the, the spleen venting when England would get eliminated from a World Cup. You know, you would, you'd reach what I would call peak Bob Willis... Um, I, th- I think the 99 World Cup was, was a particular favourite when England, you know, that was a really awful campaign on home soil and, and Willis was on rare form then. And I, there was another World Cup, which I think it was one of the ones when they got knocked out by Ireland. There's, there's been a couple of those. Um, and it, yeah, Willis, he, he, yeah, he always found the, the right words for, for, the, for those occasions. If you if you haven't seen it, and I, I urge listeners to find it on YouTube, the uh, excellent Joe Root impression of Bob Willis, whilst Root is wearing uh, an Albert Einstein mask in the dressing room, uh, is very good. And Willis took it on the chin, bless him, but it was actually quite an accurate uh, impression. So go he, seek. He was one of the most impersonated bowlers. I, I recall Alistair Cook impersonating him in a in a Test match. I seen Jawad Meander impersonating him also in an international match. And he got a wicket too. And he actually, he actually got a wicket yeah. when he was impersonating him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, I always found him quite interesting. I think he did a lot of the stuff with kind of tongue-in-cheek, though. I always felt it was a little bit kind of cheeky. He was meant to be sort of just have, almost having a bit of a joke. Um, you know, that, that sort of ranting old man well, kind, of, kind character, of thing, right? But in Which a way, he was kind of well, saying right? what was on everyone's minds. I always felt like just the, his, just his complete exasperation with... Um, with England, with English cricket, and he was there through the nineties, so he kind of, you know, saw it all. So great quotes from him too, right? Um, I, I came across once when he was touring in Australia. He said, "I was once offered a Foster's from someone over the fence, but it was warmer and frothier than a Foster's." <laughs> nice. Oh, that's nice. excellent. That's very good. Yeah. I think the quality of refreshments has improved at Australian grounds, from what I understand. <laughs> All right, excellent. So let's move quickly to Pakistan. There's a lot of um, there's there, well, actually, should I say this is out of the ordinary? It's probably the normal level of unrest in Pakistani cricket. Um, the tour to Australia did not go particularly well. Some really odd selections. There is talk about uh, Nasim Shah. And whether he's really 16, but that's that's another issue. Um, 
just some odd selection decisions have, have, have raised several questions about uh, Mizbah ul Haq. Pakistan are now playing Sri Lanka at home. They had the first test in Rawalpindi. Uh, it was washed out uh, after one innings each. The next test is happening soon in Karachi. But yeah, there's just, you know, Mizbah ul Haq has, uh, he's recalled Umar Akmal and Ahmed Shazad. That's, you know, strange to begin with. Um, Akmal was dismissed. Since being recalled, he was dismissed for Golden Ducks in both matches he played. Uh, that, that was the two T20s. Um, Shazad scored 17 runs. Uh, recalling Mohamed Irfan, who's now 37, and bringing it, selecting Usman Kadir, uh, which also kind of a real left-field selection. Those, that, this was all for the T20 series, by the way. Um, the biggest one, though, is is omitting Mohamed Abbas in Australia. You know, he he's brought in a new kind of pace attack, three teenagers, two of them uncapped, including Nassim Shah. But just 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 going back to Mohamed Abbas, so they left him out of the first test uh, in Brisbane, but he played in the second test and he looked terrible. He looked like a net, a net bowler. He could be playing in Shanghai. He was bowling 123 kilometers an hour up and down, uh, no movement, no seam. No, seriously. He looked really innocuous. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. He looked terrible, but he has he is um, their highest ranked bowler and has been um, their most prolific bowler in test cricket in recent history. So he, you know, that may have just been a bad match and, and, you know, maybe he was a little miffed. Who knows? Agreed. And they don't have Mohamed Amir, right? Which is a real pity. I mean, he's such a great bowler. He's, he's obviously not playing red ball cricket anymore. So it's a real loss for them. And then dropping Yasser Shah as well was another strange one. He went into the Sri Lankan test with an all pace attack. Uh, the first time uh, Pakistan has um, done this since September 1995. And Sri Lanka, you know, batted pretty well. So a lot of questions for Mizbah moving into the um, into the second test against, let's not forget, Mickey Arthur's Sri Lanka. Okay, so do we want to talk about the BBL, Darren, which has got underway in Australia yesterday? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we do. So a lot of big names coming to the BBL this year. So, of course, we have the big ticket item of A.B. de Villiers, joining my beautiful hometown, Kevin Peterson's favourite venue, Brisbane. <laughs> of course, we also have quite a few British-English players as well. We've got Liam Livingston. We have, of course, one of the Currens is playing as well. I think it's Tom. We also have young Tom Banton, who's playing for Brisbane as well. He looks good. Last night, he, he scored a quick fire 20, but he's hit the ball to the crowd quite a long way back. A very young, talented uh, keeper batsman, I believe. Um, so it's interesting that they're shortening the, um, the time this year. I think it's almost five and a bit weeks. Last year, it sort of dragged on for six or seven. So they've reduced the whole league. They have some international players coming for half a season, like A.B. de Villiers coming in and out. So it looks like a more star-studded tournament this year. A lot of the international players will also be playing. So people like you have Usman Kawaja, Aaron Finch, um, they'll all be playing uh, day in, day out in most of the tournament, which is actually great for the, for the game. So yeah, I think this year will be bigger. We'll probably get better crowds and better uh, viewership this year. Um, but already last night, my team, Brisbane, lost their opening game to the least favorite team, which is Sydney Thunder. So there you go. Darren Lehman is now coaching the Brisbane Heat, by the way. We'll see what happens there. The IPL auction is going to happen soon. Does anyone know when? All I know is that it's soon. Isn't it February? <laughs> okay. 
So not that soon in that case. Okay, so they're calling it a mini auction um, because only 73 spots up for grabs. Um, in the past, uh, small these smaller auctions uh, historically apparently has has um, has ended up rewarding players. So you get like quite a bit, a bit of a bidding war basically. Um, some of the players who are up for grabs: Glenn Maxwell, uh, Pat Cummins, who's um, I think will will attract quite a high price. Uh, Sheldon Cottrell and Sheldon Cottrell's salute. Yep, correct. Alex Carey is looking good. Uh, is he going to take over from Tim Payne at any time soon? That's, mm. I think that's that's the mail. That's what everyone's talking about. Yeah. Uh, so I think it seems to be written in stone almost. Chris Morris and Jaidev Unadkat, who, lest we forget, has been the most expensive Indian player in the last two auctions. Yeah, he goes for a mint every year, doesn't he, that guy? He's a killer in um, in these domestic T20s. He's just, yeah, he's, you know, he's like a, such a, yeah, he's a specialist now. The gun. Um, okay, right. Anyone have any quotes? I have a funny, you know, funny one. Somebody describing Bob Willis's run-up. Um, a guy called Frank Keating, who I have no idea who that is. Maybe you guys know who it is. Oh, he's a highly regarded English cricket writer from the old days. This is him describing Bob Willis's run-up. A 1940 biplane tied up with elastic bands trying vainly to take off. Actually, it's actually quite accurate, isn't it? If you think about it. <laughs> My quotes are a little less poetic. First of all, I have Rashid Latif commenting about the Pakistani cricket age-fudging controversy. In a tweet, Rashid Latif, of course, that's, that's, uh, was previously a Pakistani captain, uh, like many Pakistani cricketers, uh, he said, for God's sake, PCB, correct the ages and don't destroy your reputation by working with crooked diploma doctors. Don't make a joke of yourself. Pretty, pretty harsh words. But then Rashid Latif was always uh, one for uh, unvarnished. Yes, always feisty. Unvarnished views. Uh, and another quote, actually, and Darren, you may have seen this one from Mahatma Gandhi by way of. Candice Warner. Here we go. So, so after David Warner scored a, a record-breaking 335 against Pakistan in the second test, Candice Warner uh, said, used a Mahatma Gandhi quote on Twitter. She said, strength does not come from physical capacity. It comes from an indomitable will. Very, very erudite thinking there. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I think Mahatma Gandhi was thinking of just this kind of situation when, when, he, said, when he said that, yeah. <laughs> I think he was. Well, well Candice Falzone is quite the guru too, sort of fitness, motivational guru. Yeah, so this is, they probably have all these quotes around the house, I imagine, on the fridge and, you know, in the bathroom and all that sort of stuff. We didn't talk about the milestone, actually. Quite, I mean, a big, big day for David Warner and, and another Australian batsman who has been unable to, uh, well... You, you kind of get this situation where Australian batsmen get into high figures and then the team declares. Yeah, I mean, he, he could have gone past the 400. It was a bit of an interesting one because I think they had a lot of time in the game as well. So I think they sort of agreed that he'd go past Bradman and Mark Taylor, um, which is 3-3-4. So he did that and then they, they pulled him in. But, you know, surely they could have let him go. Why not? It wouldn't have made a difference to the match, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, Matthew Hayden will be happy because his 380 is intact. Uh, Against Zimbabwe. 
Yeah. And then Lara's 400. Yeah, Lara's 400 against England. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if you watched this innings. Darren, was it a, a masterclass? I must confess I did not see any of it. I must say I did watch some of it. It was actually, it sounds like a really boring innings, but it was actually quite interesting to watch. I think he was so focused and so fit and he, re- he ran singles all the way through to the 300, like sharps, short singles, turning ones into twos. Just his fitness, discipline and application was really admirable to watch. It was quite something. He never seemed to falter or get tired or go through any phases. He's, he seemed to be on the whole time, which is very impressive. Yeah, he's having a great uh, Australian summer, isn't he? Um, in- another interesting thing is that it was the first triple century in test cricket since December 2016, which I, th- yeah, I thought that was interesting. Three years it's been. Yeah, there you go. Long time between drinks. <laughs> Indeed. And do you know who scored that last test century triple in December 2016? Anyone? Uh, somebody from New Zealand. No. Nope. Baz. Nope. Don't know. Good question. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, actually. It is, in fact, India's Karunaya. Um, oh, that's a good one to know about trivia night. Did he score it on debut? Well, for an extra point, wow, that's really good uh, if you get that in a pub quiz. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure whether that was his debut. I know it was his first series. Wow. And he has since disappeared into obscurity. <laughs> then he got dropped the next test. Uh, I'm not sure if it was the next test, but he's he certainly has not played regularly. He's been a part of a couple of squads, but was it the hemispheric issue or the valet problem? Uh, I think it was more to do with valeting. <laughs> yeah, not 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 of all well, not of all known valet. He's he has not he's not been selected for the the first string of valets, and uh, this 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 has conspired against him. All right, guys. Um, So I think that's us done for this episode of Cricket Ultras, unless anyone has anything else they'd like to offer. Before we go, yeah, on the way, on the plane over to Australia, uh, I watched this documentary called The Edge. Oh, I've heard of this. Uh, I'd heard heard about it, but I hadn't watched it, and it was not what I expected, so I encourage everyone to go out there and watch it. Uh, Oh, it's really good. Um, It's about the English cricket team when they became number one. Um, with Kevin Peterson and all that kind of stuff. But, but I won't spoil it for you, but go and watch it. You'll love it. Uh, it's not what you think, actually. I remember seeing um, the guy who did the director, actually, at the Frontline Club in London was doing a talk about it, and he was given really quite sweeping access to the team in the, the build-up and obviously behind the scenes, which I think is why it's so interesting. Yeah, it does look interesting. It was a very interesting period for English cricket, I think. That group of players, they kind of rose quickly and then... Yeah, very tough, much tough love from Andy Flower. Yeah, how does Andy Flower come out of it? He's a... He comes out well. You've got, like I said, I won't spoil the ending, but watch it all the way through. You know, they, they were determined to be number one and, you know, on their way to becoming number one, it, there was a lot of casualties, right? And they reflect on it later. So it's very interesting to watch. I look forward to the, the version, the, the, the more sanitised version that we will one day get about the Indian cricket team. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Shastri's soldiers, they could call it. <laughs> along those lines. Okay, cool. Well, thank you all very much. Uh, we'll be back in the new year. Enjoy all of the cricket. There's a lot going on, as always, at this time of year. And we'll be back with uh, more of an annual review on our next show. Uh, and, of course, festive greetings to all of our listeners. Thank you.